Okay, how you doing, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the John Riley Project. This is a podcast where we celebrate not only life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but we also comment on a lot of the news and newsmakers throughout San Diego County. And thanks for joining me. You know, we're kind of getting started at a little bit different time. Normally, I do these Wednesday at noon, the live stream. But, you know, my schedule was a little bit different, and it gives us an opportunity to experiment in the evenings to see if this time slot works well for you. So thanks for joining me. Got a lot in store for you here on this episode. We're going to talk about the resignation of Poway City Councilman Barry Leonard. We're going to talk about the widening of Highway 56 that links Poway and Penasquitos with you know Carmel Valley and Del Mar. We're going to talk about the newest updates with Nathan Fletcher and his replacement. There's already been a new candidate has come forward. We'll talk a little bit about her. We're going to explore an interesting topic in Escondido about their parks and the way they're maintaining their parks and some crazy stories about what's going on with the rest Rooms in Escondido parks. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that Escondido budget, battery swapping for electric vehicles. We'll even talk a little bit about Imperial Beach and the election rules. So that's our plan for today. Big list, big agenda. Thanks for joining us. Already we got some people in on the live stream and it's our good friend Ed Franklin. He says, what's up, dog? How you doing, Ed? Hey, thanks for joining us. Um, Ed is a host of his own podcast, the No Limits podcast. And um, Ed's a great guy, lives here in the general area. Strongly encourage you to check out his podcast, No Limits, has a lot of great guests on that show. And Ed and I have been guests on each other's show a number of times. So, um, yeah, you can get involved in the community forum if you have uh, questions or comments. You know, just type them in in the live chat on either Facebook or YouTube and we'll get you involved. (coughs) My goodness, I'm starting out and I'm already coughing. Okay, let's, uh, let's get through this. And let's talk first about, um, Ed says, yeah, we'll do it again real soon. So, Ed, looking forward to that opportunity. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Barry Leonard. Now, um, let's kind of set the table here. You know, I live in the city of Poway, the city in the country. And Barry Leonard is one of our city councilmen. And at the meeting, the city council meeting that was held, I believe it was on Tuesday night, he announced his resignation it was unexpected. You know, he's going to sit in up through one um, additional meeting, but it really caught a lot of people off guard because a lot of people thought that Barry Leonard potentially could be the next mayor of Poway, particularly if Steve Voss, our current mayor, were ever to move on to higher office. That had often been rumored or discussed. And so now, Barry Leonard has resigned. I think it caught a lot of us by surprise. I think there's a lot more to the story that we're going to hear about. But let me just share some thoughts that were in our local newspaper, the Poway Chieftain. And uh, Barry said at the council meeting two days ago, he says, I'd just like to say that recent changes in my life have reminded me that nothing is permanent. Because of some recent changes in my life, I'm going to submit my resignation to the council. Um, And he said that his uh, meeting on May 16th will be his last. And he says on May 16th, he'll have more to share. Uh, But he wanted to thank everyone for 
all the work they've done in the city and the friendships and relationships that he's built. Uh, Mayor Voss went on to praise uh, Councilman Barry Leonard, saying that Barry served Poway with heart, honesty, and wisdom. I've never known a finer human being or a more dedicated public servant. He will be sorely missed. Now, that's Barry Leonard, sorely missed. And uh, Ed Franklin on the live stream already jumping in says, hey, man, Barry's a good man. I just spoke to him today. You know, Barry is a good guy. And um, I actually I was with Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and I were having uh, over at the Einstein Brothers Bakels on RB. We were having, uh, you know, just a cup of coffee and a bagel one day. And uh, and here comes Barry Leonard was there and ran into him. So it was pretty cool. So I saw him about, yeah, maybe about a month ago. Um, so there's a couple of angles to the story that I think are worth worth discussing. And first of all, it's a big news when you have a city council person resigning. And then now the question is going to be, well, first of all, a lot of people are wondering, why is he resigning? What are, what are these things that have changed in his life? Now, I'm sure we're going to hear from Barry soon, but one of the things that that I know, at least, is I know that his wife has health issues. And I don't know the detail of it or how extensive it is, but I'm I'm speculating that maybe there has been some concern, you know, with the health of his family, that he needed to be more available to support his family members. And if so, you know— Barry, you got to take care of your family. I appreciate and I understand that. But I don't know. I mean, I'm just speculating. So we may learn more. We may find out more information about the reasons for his resignation. Now, the other angle to this is how would he be replaced? And this gets into a topic that has been discussed at length in a lot of our Poway elections going back probably 10 years. And there's been a pattern where... There have been council members that have resigned midway through their their term or in other cases have been promoted, like when Mayor Voss was made mayor in 2014. And all of these cases, it's left a vacancy on the city council. And the question then becomes, what do you do? If it's in the middle of a you know, if, if people resign at the end of their term is normal, and then there's a there's an election, just like there always is an election every two years. But if they resigned in the middle of their term, should they be replaced with an appointment? You know, where the city council themselves essentially pick a person to join them. And we did that. In fact, that's how Barry Leonard came on board with Poway City Council when Mayor Steve Voss was elected mayor, his seat was vacant. And so the city council, you know, basically said job opening and they they uh, took applications. They interviewed candidates. They started with over 20 candidates, I remember, and they whittled it down. And I remember it was Barry Leonard and um, I think it was Karen Dunn were the two finalists. And Barry was the one that was chosen. And so... It it did invite a lot of, you know, sort of conspiracy theory. You know, was Barry really sort of pre-selected? Was the appointment process a legit process where people were truly evaluated? Or was it a dog and pony show? Was it just a facade? Because the city council kind of already had their guy picked in advance. That's what some people believe here in the city of Poway. And that's why a lot of people are are upset 
when there ever there is an appointment because they believe that the democratic process is being distorted. Now, in the case of the Barry Leonard appointment, I mean, Barry, I believe, was a very qualified person, lives here in Poway, very involved with civic affairs. Obviously, he had friends in high places. Um, I didn't necessarily object to uh, Barry being appointed to the council, but I did I would prefer a democratic process because after all, isn't what local government supposed to be about is representative democracy. And it's best to have them elected by the people. Now, if they were to go to an election, this is usually one of the objections. If they go to an election, it's going to cost the taxpayers money. It's going to cost, and you hear all the numbers, a half a million dollars, $800,000, $2 million, whatever it is to have a special election. Does that make sense? Well, in my opinion, it does, because the cost of the election may sound like a lot, you know, whether it's a half a million or two million or whatever the number ends up being. That's still a tiny fraction of the overall city budget. And if the city needs to have an election, you know, kind of it's an emergency. It needs to happen. To me, that should be one of the top priorities of a city government is to have representation. So it makes sense to me that they should have an election. And then by having an election, you also can eliminate the conspiracy theory, whether true or not, that the appointment process is kind of a, um, you know, like I said, like a dog and pony show. It may very well be a legitimate process. It may not, but it at least removes that speculation that that's the case. So that's that's the question now. What are they going to do? Uh, because Barry, I'm trying to remember here. He was, um, I think, was his term, I think, uh, was in 2020, right? Or is he, is he up for a re-election in 2024 or 2026? I'm getting my dates confused here. I think it's 2026. Um, so if that's the case, there's three plus years in front of them. And if it's not, if I got it wrong, that it's one plus years. So, you know, if, if, if there were only like a few months left in someone's term, you maybe could argue there should be an appointment or you maybe could argue, like, hey, we'll just go without for a little bit. Uh, Yuri Bolin on the live stream already sharing the comments here. 2024 is when Barry Leonard's term expires. So that would be November of 2024. So that's roughly a year and a half where District 2 in Poway would not be getting full representation. And District 2, for the most part, is Green Valley, you know, the area where the farm development is, and Bridalwood and, you know, the Grove, which is sort of east of Poway High. And then that just sort of in generally speaking, the whole kind of a Spola Road area of North Poway is is Barry's territory, District 2. They would go without representation. And you don't really want that, especially for a year and a half. So the question now is going to become, what are they going to do? Um, there's already speculation. In fact, there has been speculation for a very long time that John Couvret would be a candidate for city council at some point. And, you know, John Couvret is the second half of the dynamic duo, John Couvret and Ginger Couvret. And Ginger Couvret already sits on the Poway Unified School Board. Um, And she had been one of the people that had previously applied or had expressed interest 
on being on Poway City Council. And I take that back. I don't think she was an applicant for the appointment, but she has, you know, it's sort of well known that she has interest in being on the Poway City Council because all of her activities have been here in Poway. But her her um, husband, John, is the f- current or the former CEO of the Poway Chamber. Um, or excuse me, I'm saying this wrong. I think he's chairman of the board of the Poway Chamber at one point. He's the president of the Kiwanis Club. He's another kind of civic community dynamo. And it'd be interesting if the Couvrettes had a tag team, one elected on city council or appointed on city council, and then one on the school board. That's a scenario that's realistic. That's a scenario that could happen. I'm sure, though, that if they opened it up to an appointment process, there would be a number of other candidates that would jump in. And then if there was an election, certainly there would be a number of candidates that would jump in. So there's more to learn on this. Um, Barry, you know, again, I like Barry. I mean, Barry is a very strong, opinionated guy. Um, So and he does rub some people the wrong way. I know there's people in Poway that don't like him. I generally like Barry, um, and I, I appreciate him, and I understand him. Now, does he govern the way I would govern? No. I mean, we're different people. Um, but I have no problems with Barry Leonard. Other people do. Um, so that's what makes this so interesting on what they're going to do to replace him. So um, be interested in your thoughts and comments on the live stream. So if you got some um, ideas, just let me know. We'll get you involved. Now, before I move on to the next topic here, I do want to add a um, a, a little bit of a tangent story here on Poway. Um, Ed, by the way, Ed Franklin talking about Barry Leonard says, hey, I appreciate his service. And Ed goes on to say, John is a credible person. He's talking not about me. But he's talking about John Couvret, a credible person. Um and then Ed asking me, why don't you get in the mix? Well, I'm in District 3, so I can't even get in the mix. Um, and most likely I won't in my future. Um, but thanks, Ed, for thinking of me. Uh, so I do have one. There's one more tangent story to, to what's happening with Poway. And this also happened at the Poway City Council meeting on Tuesday night. And, you know, th- there's this big lifetime fitness center that's being proposed in the farm that's causing an uproar with the Poway voters. So there and there's been more developments with this, but let me just quickly tee it up. The former Stone Ridge Country Club was voted um, by the voters in 2020, and they approved that that area to be rezoned from uh, from open space recreational, which was a golf course and tennis club and swimming pool, and they voted to make that residential and to put in housing and that and 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 some commercial entities in there. And the leader of that project, Kevin McNamara, a longtime Poway guy, in fact, he was here on my podcast and we spoke for over three hours about the farm and his plan and a lot of other Poway issues. If you want to go back and watch that, that's my episode number 100. It's easy to remember that number. And we talked extensively about the farm and the whole project and everything. And at the time when voters were voting, the proposal was that they were going to put in a fitness club there that was like around 2,500 square feet, maybe 3,000 square feet. So kind of a modest little club. And it was going to be in a little commercial area that was going to have a 
like a coffee shop, maybe a restaurant slash brewery or a restaurant slash bar. There was going to be, you know, kind of commercial area for um, for a farmer's market and, and a flower garden and I think an amphitheater, a small amphitheater and even like a barn or like a town hall that could be rented out for weddings and things like that in this small little commercial zone in the farm. And the voters voted for that and the voters approved that. And the whole plan was that what the voters approved was what was going to happen. In fact, when Kevin McNamara, the leader of the project, was on my podcast, he said, what the voters are voting on will not change. If anything, it'll get smaller. It'll be more open space. It won't get bigger. Well, now they want to make this fitness club bigger. They want to make this fitness club 30,000 square feet, which is 10 times the size of the original plan. And we just saw today that they're now starting to take bids, you know, to, to come up with architectural plans and and potentially for development, that this is going to be a two-story structure. And there's a lot of people freaking out. And like on one level, people are saying the primary is, hey, man, we voted on this. This was a democratically run election. The voters voted on a specific plan. And now you're changing the plan after the voters voted on it, especially when you promised it would never change. And there's a lot of people that feel like this is an affront of democracy. This is making the process of voting on these propositions to be something of a farce, a violation of what representative democracy is supposed to be. That, you know, they find a way to get the voters to vote for it. And then later on, the developers will change the plans and get away with it. And there's a lot of people that rightfully, I think, are upset about that because, you know, Kevin McNamara made a big point that this would never change. The farm uh, project, the lifetime fitness is a big change from the original plan. And so now they're going through this process of getting uh, city council approval. They're trying to see if it's within the scope of the traffic um, study and a lot of other things to see if they can sort of make it fit within the paradigm of what the voters voted on. Now, I haven't broken down all the legalese. I don't know. But it sounds like on the surface that that's a legit issue. And so at the meeting last Tuesday, the same meeting where Barry Leonard announced his resignation they had a whole bunch of community people voicing their concerns. And, you know, they normally get three minutes, but there were so many people, they had to cut it down to two. And I saw excerpts of it online. And there was one gentleman that got up there that I was, it was kind of fun for me because he actually got his tablet out and played part of the video that of my interview with Kevin McNamara. And I thought that was cool to see my stuff on there. Um, I didn't expect that, but my buddy Pete Neal kind of let me know about it up front. Um, But it was another voter that was basically saying, hey, man, we were promised this and now you're trying to do that. And people are upset. And so we're going to see how this shakes out. Um, If if this can pass the legal test, um, there's a lot of people that are questioning whether or not the Poway City Council is, quote unquote, listening to what people have to say, what, to what their concerns are. Now, I think on that level, does it violate what the voters wanted? On the surface, it seems so. Now, I'll say this. I have kind of a different take on all of this. 
is that, in my opinion, the voters shouldn't be voting on this in the first place. In my opinion, this is private property. And if they want to build on it, they should be able to build on it. But the way the legal process is set up is that it was under the Prop FF jurisdiction. And the only way it could be overturned was through a public vote. And the public vote laid out a very specific plan. And it appears that this is a a change in that plan. So what's the process? Would the voters be essentially thwarted if they change the process, if they change the plan. And interestingly, the representative of that area of where the farm is, is Barry Leonard. And Barry Leonard just uh, resigned. He's got one more meeting. So even if the city council made a decision to vote on which way to go and with only four, well, they're missing the one representative of the actual area where the lifetime fitness would go in the farm. So this is curious to see how they're going to shake this out. Um, I think they've got to find a way to replace Barry Leonard. And I think they're going to have to come to a conclusion on this because I think they're, they're McNamara and, and his team, they're ready to move forward on this. Um, and, and then Ed Franklin on the live stream says, until the outpost is fixed, the city council is not to be trusted. Yeah, the, the outpost is... The food hall, fitness club, residential mixed-use building on Poway Road in between five guys in the mortuary. And they, you know, they, they dug a hole two stories down, two levels of, gar- of, of underground garage, and, and they had this great plan. But they hit the water table. It flooded. They couldn't control the water. The company went bankrupt, and now it's sitting like an eyesore, and it's been sitting that way for a couple of years. Um, the city, the city, the city was was warned that there was a creek there and a water table. Did they heed that warning? Did people make mistakes? You know, was this just a, a developer that got in over his head? I don't know. But yeah, I mean, the city council is going to. You know, it's they're they're like a quarterback in an NFL game. They're going to get the credit or they're going to get the blame, particularly the mayor. Um, so we'll see how that one goes. Okay, let's move on. Um, got more to discuss here. And again, thanks everyone for jumping in on the live stream. Um, I want to get to Nathan Fletcher. We're going to talk about Highway Fifty Six. Um, we've got a whole bunch of other things to get involved here. Talk about Escondido and Imperial Beach because, you know, I like to cover all of the San Diego County news headlines. It's kind of the sh- that's the angle of this podcast. That's what we like to do. And thanks for you know joining me here in the evening. You know, and, you know, you, if you follow my podcast, you know that I take this YouTube video that's on Facebook and YouTube and I cut it into pieces later on. It'll be up on YouTube. So we get a modest number of people that like to watch the live stream, but a lot more people will download the audio podcast or watch all the segments on YouTube. And that's what we'll usually get going. Okay, so let's switch gears and go to the topic of Highway 56. And this has just been announced that they're going to widen Highway 56. Now, Highway 56 connects Del Mar and Carmel Valley with Rancho Penasquitos and Poway. And this is a has become a major artery, a critical piece of 
you know, highway infrastructure because of all the development that's gone on in Carmel Valley. And because to a great degree, we have been sort of, it was so difficult for people in Poway to get to the beach. You either have to go up along the 78 or over Del Dios or over to Mira Mesa Boulevard. And the 56 was a boon for, for us inland folk to be able to get to the beach. We loved it. Um, well, according to, to the story is, is that the city of San Diego is ready to move forward to widen Highway 56. And all the climate people are really upset and really angry about this. And they're like, why would you widen this? It's just going to encourage more cars. It's going to make it harder to meet our climate goals. You know, you should be putting in mass transit and, and you should be coming up with some alternative means to get people around. But what they're going to do is add two lanes right down the center. And on the photo, if you're watching on the live stream, you can see the photo. When they built the 56, you could tell that they left a lot of space for expansion, definitely in the center and potentially even on the outside edges. So they're going to put two lanes down the center and they're going to make them available for carpools. Um, and they're, you know, you would assume mass transit could get in there. And then you wonder, is this going to be like the HOV lane on the 15 freeway? which allows electric vehicles to drive on there as well. I use the one on the 15 all the time. So the city council gave approval for $40 million project last month. And um, they said that they wanted to have the area reserved only for special commuter buses. But could you imagine that if they spent millions of dollars, widened the freeway, put in commuter buses? Well, where are these commuter buses going to go? I mean, are they going to just take you from Poway and then drop you off in Carmel Valley? I mean, um, or maybe they get on the freeway and go down the five or north on the five. I don't know what the plan is, but I always question this. Are people always jumping to mass transit when it's clear that people like to drive cars in Southern California? And, and, and now some of these city council people are kind of upset about this plan, but they feel like they've got no other choice because the traffic can be tough on that 56. Um, According to Marnie Von Wilpert, who is the city council person in San Diego that represents Rancho Bernardo, um, and according to her, she said um, that she reluctantly voted for the new lanes. And she said, I'm quite frustrated for my residents and for us as a city because we didn't plan for the increased density we're having in this area because she thought there should have been mass transit. You know, I don't know, trolleys, buses, subways, gondolas. I'm not sure what she had in mind, but something should have been part of this plan because there's so much density that's being put in there. Um, Alan Kosup, who's the Caltrans director from North County, urged the city to lobby county officials to prioritize bus only lanes along State Route 56. But think about that. When you're going down the 15, how often do you see buses in the high occupancy vehicle lane? I mean, it's rare. I mean, you'll see them sometimes, but for the most part, those are cars. Those are cars that are legit carpools with two or more people. Or there are people that have the, um, you know, the, the electronic device that can decrement from their account and they pay for usage. Or there are people like me that are solo drivers but have an electric vehicle and we're using that. And that two lanes, you know, sometimes it's expanded to three. They've got that movable barrier in the center. You know, there's quite a bit of people in there. 
But imagine if they only had use it for buses, that would be mostly empty. And then imagine if you're stuck in traffic and you're still like, let's just say on the 56 and you're in one of the two lanes, you're stuck in traffic. And there's these two lanes in the center that are only for buses and nobody's there. And you're sitting there looking at it. Why aren't we able to use it? So this is going to be a major point of contention. So um, city officials said these new lanes, which will increase the number of lanes on a 20-year-old freeway from four to six. And this is going to help out all these new projects over there, including Merge 56 and the Trails and Millennium PQ. But it's only going to go from El Camino Real, which is there in Carmel Valley, to just west of the Carmel Valley Road at the Gonzales Creek Bridge. Um, Now, this is fascinating. There's a 20-year-old road. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but before this was built, there used to be this like secret dirt road. I don't know if you ever remember that. Because you could go into Carmel Valley, and if you were, I'm trying to remember, like up by Torrey Pines High, and if you kept going, oh, and that wasn't Torrey Pines High, because uh, that's Del Mar Heights, because would, it would dead end just east of the high school. But if you were on Carmel Valley Road and you would go east, it was this narrow two-lane road that would meander through this area, and you would eventually end up at Evergreen Nursery, which I think is called Moon Nursery now. And then after that, it was a dirt road. And you would take this dirt road and you kind of wander through that. And, and then you sort of pop out in a little cul-de-sac in Rancho Penasquitos. And I remember when I discovered that, it was awesome. I mean, it was kind of fun. It was adventurous. But it saved a lot of time, you know, getting between Poway and Del Mar. Like if you wanted to go to the beach or if you just didn't want to have to deal with Mira Mesa Boulevard or Miramar Road or Del Dios, or go way around on Highway 78. This was like a shortcut to save a lot of time. And then, you know, they were going to build the freeway, and the freeway had all these delays because of environmental concerns and habitat issues, but they eventually put it in. So now they're, they say they're going to move forward with this, 2.2 miles of these extra lanes. But according to Karina Contreras, a policy advocate for the nonprofit Climate Action Campaign, She said the new lanes would be a glaring example of the concept known as induced demand, adding freeway capacity that just encourages more people to drive. And apparently there is strong evidence that new lanes won't relieve traffic on the freeway in the long term. Study after study shows that widening highways does not reduce congestion. The new lanes quickly attract more drivers who counteract any reductions in congestion. But you know what? When they enacted the sales tax increase in, in, in here in San Diego County, they promised they were going to widen the 78. They promised they were going to widen the 67 and other freeways. But remember, like about a couple of years ago, they did an about face. They did a 180 and said, well... We're not going to do that now. Instead, we're going to do this big mass transit plan with trolleys and and um, and buses and all this new infrastructure to handle all of this mass transit. They really did kind of a bait and switch on voters, in my opinion. But now here's an opportunity to widen a freeway. Now, if they widen the freeway, will more people be on the freeway? Well, yeah, because they're building more there. I mean, because of the Merge 56 project and um, all the other ones I listed, the trails, et cetera, there's going to be more people on the freeway. 
But at the same time, you know, the world is changing. Um, more people are working from home than they ever had. I mean, s- certainly bef- there's more people working from home now than they did pre-pandemic. There's more people, I think, are going to be adopting this idea. You know, people are already using electric vehicles. They're worried that by putting in these widening lanes, not only is it going to be more congestion, but there's going to be more damage to the climate. But we just talked about in our last week's podcast about booming sales of electric vehicles. Well, that minimizes carbon footprint impact. That's good. But I think this is going to evolve in a different way. A lot of people think we need to have these mass infrastructure for trains and trolleys and subways, and we got to build tunnels and bridges. And I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I think there's another way. I, I think this whole idea of autonomous electric vehicles is going to change everything. This technology is going to make it such that you won't ever need to have your own car. You'll just hail a car when you need it. And those cars will be able to efficiently travel because there'll be autonomous EVs that will be able to travel in a swarm safely. And we won't be dealing with people that are distracted drivers or drunk drivers or, you know, lots of other nonsense going on in cars or road rage or any of the other craziness that's on the road now, a lot of that will be eliminated, which will allow vehicles to travel way more efficiently. Combine that with more people working from home, thanks to high-speed internet and, and, um, and teleconferencing and Zoom and the like, I think there's going to be a lot less people on the roads. Um, but according to um, council member uh, Joe LaCava, he's on the city council, and he represents the western portion of the 56 corridor. He says San Diego is built in a car-friendly manner. That means it's this is not a realistic option in some neighborhoods to bike or walk or tr- take transport. He says, and this is a great line here, individuals make different choices only when there are viable options to get from point A to point B, especially if they want to stop at point C along the way. Our job, city council, is to ensure that that says there's as many climate-friendly mobility options available for residents as possible. Okay, yeah. I mean, transportation is a big part. Infrastructure is a big part of what a city council should do. But the question is, what do you do now? I mean, we've got congestion now on these roads. So they're planning this. It's going to start. It's going to be done by fall of 2025. And they actually have... They're going to put in two lanes for only a portion of the 56 freeway, but they've got room for more. So what do you think of that? You think it's a good thing, a bad thing? I think it's good. I mean, I think, you know, voters were promised wider freeways and wider freeways will relieve congestion. Will more people be on the road? Yeah. I mean, that's going to happen. There's more homes being built. There's more people. And so, yeah, there's going to – but imagine if you didn't widen the road. Imagine the opposite. You're putting in all these houses, all these condos, and imagine if you kept it two lanes in each direction and still wouldn't have mass transit infrastructure for decades. Then what? (laughs) Then these people are going to be, you know, landlocked, you know, out there in Penasquitos or in Carmel Valley. They're going to be in a much more desperate situation. So I think you got to build it. you got to – you got to widen the road. And if they come up with some mass transit possibilities, all right, let's consider them. But again, I think that technology is going to save the day here. Technology is going to make is technology is going to transform the way we use transportation. And I really believe autonomous 
EVs that are individualized pods that can get you from your doorstep to your final destination are going to be far more efficient than taking mass transit A and transferring to mass transit B and then walking three miles to get to mass transit C and hopefully getting from your doorstep to where you want to go in a reasonable amount of time. Individualized pods that are driven autonomously, I think, are going to be the solution here. Okay, let's move along. Um, got a lot more to cover, but before we do, I, again, I welcome your thoughts and comments on the live stream. Uh, just type them in on the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. Um, if you're interested in learning more about my podcast, just go to johnreillyproject.com. That's my website. All of our old episodes are there. Our video clips are there. We've got some blog articles, a lot of different ways you can get involved. Join the mailing list, F- like, follow, share, and subscribe on social media. It's all there, johnreillyproject.com. Okay, uh, let's move on. And I want to talk about good old Nathan Fletcher. And everybody, I think, knows the story. Nathan Fletcher has um, has announced his resignation, which will take place on May 15th. And, um, you know, he had admitted to having, um, you know, affairs outside of his marriage. And, and he had admitted to... Uh, um, you know, the, the, that he needed to seek help because he had problems with substance abuse. And now he's at a retreat. He's getting the help he needs. Uh, apparently, there were some, um, you know, sexual harassment violations that are involved with this. I think a lot of more detail is going to come out on this. But for sure, we know he's going to step down. And now people are saying, how are we going to replace him? And already, all the other four members of the County Board of Supervisors have said, we want him to resign immediately. Well, now they just move forward and they're going to have a special election to replace Nathan Fletcher's position on August 15th to fill that district four. But the funny part of this is, is that Carl DeMaio, who's the outspoken Republican right wing talk show host and, and local activist, he thinks DeMaio isn't going to resign at all. He thinks DeMaio is actually going to have a, you know, a, a moment where he rediscovers himself and is going to ask for forgiveness to come back and serve the voters. You know, that's an interesting idea. It's not a bad speculation because Nathan Fletcher has a political future that was looked promising for him. And if he resigns in disgrace here, then there's probably no coming back. But if he, if he, you know, withdraws on his uh, resignation, then you know, there's a possibility for his future. So, I mean, Carl DeMaio's opinion is not out, out of line. It's not crazy. But here they're saying we're going to have this election, but it's going to cost between $3 million and $5.2 million. So here we go again. They always bring this up, the cost of the election. Well, this, this county of San Diego's budget is $7.36 billion, with a B. So... A $3 million election is just a tiny fraction. It's far less than 1% of the overall budget. Um, This seems like a no-brainer that you would have this go to an election. And usually the people that say, oh, my God, it's going to cost so much money for this election, those are usually the ones that have a vested interest in the appointment process whether they're a candidate in the appointment process or they're on the current board of supervisors or in Poway's case on the city council, they kind of have someone in mind 
they're going to use the cost factor as a reason to justify the appointment process and to subvert the democratic process. But here, they're moving forward with the election, and I applaud the county of San Diego for doing this. Um, Rather than appointing a replacement to serve out the remaining three and a half years of Fletcher's term, they're going to have an election. And according to board chair Nora Vargas, it's the board's responsibility to ensure a fair and transparent process for the district, you know, District 4's 700,000 residents. So this is good. So on April 11th, the board demanded that Fletcher resign immediately. He hasn't. He says he's going to depart on on May 15th. But I I just, this is an interesting parallel because I just talked a lot about how in Poway, there have been a number of different people that have been appointed that have circumvented the process and they end up getting appointed. And then when their election comes around, they have the advantage of being incumbent and it kind of self-fulfills their political future. Uh, but they're able to kind of get over the initial hurdle through an appointment process, which can be a lot easier than running in a campaign, especially if you have friends in high places that make the decision to appoint you. So um, what do you think should happen here? Um, now, apparently, you know, they're going to have to get 50 percent or more of the vote on April 15th. And if they don't, then it's going to go to November um, in the regular uh, election in November. And then they'll find someone because they'll work it down to the final two then. So this to me is interesting because I, like I said, I I see parallels with my hometown of Poway and what's going on with the County Board of Supervisors. And I'll tell you, it was a shocker when we heard this whole story with Nathan Fletcher, but he's been quiet. We haven't heard much from him. I think he's still away at his um, clinic where he's getting the help he needs. You know, good on him. And remember, I originally praised him for getting the help that he needed because he suffered from PTSD from serving in the military in, in the Middle East, I think in the Iraq war. He had dealt with some childhood trauma and alcoholism and he needed help. Good on you, Nathan, for getting help. Well, then the other shoe dropped and we found out about these affairs and the uh, the accusations of sexual harassment. And suddenly, you know, I had to kind of withdraw my good on you, Nathan, because we learned the second half of the story. So I don't know. This, this is like a soap opera playing out here in San Diego politics. Okay, now the question now becomes is who are the candidates they are going to replace Nathan Fletcher? And already one person has come forward. Her name is Amy Reichert, that she just announced her candidacy for District 4. Um, she um, is, Actually, she's been a candidate in the past, and now she's stepping forward again. And, um, and she's a – as far as I understand, she's a Republican. Um, and – you know, Republicans in San Diego generally aren't hardcore Trumpians. Excuse me. They're, they're going to be, you know, more moderate Republicans because San Diego is just so overwhelmingly blue. So Amy Reichert has, has uh, declared and she joins Democrats Monica Montgomery Stepp, a member of the San Diego City Council, and Janessa Goldbeck, a Marine veteran who ran unsuccessfully for Congress against Sarah Jacobs. So there's already now three people that have jumped in on this race. There's probably going to be more coming forward, especially now that they've kind of announced the, the date of the election. So we're going to find out more. And, you know, here on my podcast, I invite all political candidates to come on and have a long form conversation about your candidacy, about your policies, about your background and the reasons why you're running. And so Amy Reichert and, 
you know, Monica Montgomery Stepp and Janessa Goldbeck, all, you're all welcome here to join me on the podcast, either in person or we'll do like a Zoom call and, and make your content available to the community. So this is for District 4. And you're probably thinking, okay, where is District 4? Now, this is a county seat, not city of San Diego. So it covers parts of San Diego, but parts of outside of the city. So just a quick list of the communities. Claremont, Kearney Mesa, Mission Valley, Linda Vista, Spring Valley, Mount Helix, La Mesa, Lemon Grove, Hillcrest, North Park, Bankers Hill, Old Town, Rancho Santa San Diego, Rancho San Diego, Balboa Park, Normal Heights, University Heights, Encanto, Paradise Hills, Sarah Mesa, Cholas Creek, Kensington, and the Montezuma Mesa area by San Diego State. So it's kind of like, you know, the, the central area of San Diego County, the, mostly the central area of the city of San Diego, parts of southeast San Diego, a little bit of East County. So this is um, this is an important district. Um, and so, she, you know, Amy Reichert's running for this, and apparently she gained political influence during the pandemic through her work with Reopen San Diego, which advocated for the reopening of schools and small businesses and was against these vaccine mandates, which remember, we there was a, definitely a very vocal group of people, and I was one of them, that was upset with a lot of these mandates, really upset with the shutting down of the schools and the shutting down of businesses. We thought it was way too heavy handed. Um, so she was one of those outspoken people for that. And, you know, I just took a quick glance at her website. And it's interesting. There's there's a number of things. Her, her three priorities are lowering the cost of living in San Diego, solving the homeless epidemic, and increasing public safety in the communities. So um, she's trying to make it easier to build, to, you know, lessen regulations and costs uh, for new housing construction, which I think is a good idea. Um, she's trying to find ways to find solutions for the homeless. That's obviously a giant issue. We've talked a lot about that in this podcast. And then she wants to, you know, fund more police, more more safety, um, because, you know, there has been an increase, a little bit of an increase in crime. And crime overall for the last three decades is way down. But recently, especially since the pandemic, there's been an uptick. So these are a lot of, I would say, common Republican talking points. Um, so we're going to see, we're going to hear more from her. But, you know, this district, I mean, this is Nathan Fletcher's district. Nathan Fletcher is a progressive. Nathan Fletcher used to be a Republican. Then he became independent. And as the the winds shifted, he went Democrat. And then he married Lorena Gonzalez, who's a, a labor leader and a former assembly person. You know, Nathan Fletcher represents a progressive agenda. And Nathan Fletcher, with a progressive agenda, was elected in District 4. I have a hard time seeing a Republican, even a moderate Republican, winning there. But, you know, there's already two Democrats and one Republican. So maybe the two Democrats split the vote. Maybe you get a situation like the 2018 Republican primaries where 17 candidates and Trump was able to win the thing with a small number. I don't know. We're going to find out. I think this is interesting. So Amy Reichert has come forward. She's a new candidate for County Board of Supervisors in District 4. Okay, let's let's move on. I, I got a couple more topics to get into before we get into the San Diego Community Forum. And there's a lot going on here that I want to get into. But let's talk a little bit about Escondido. And there was this really interesting story that appeared in Voice of San Diego. And it was about this lady, Amy Landers. And Amy is a mom... She owns um, a cleaning business. 
lived in Escondido for a long time. And she would go to the city parks and she was horrified at the condition of the bathrooms, these public restrooms in the parks. And you know, if you've ever been in public restrooms, I don't care where they are. A lot of times they're nasty. They're bad. Well, she took it upon herself and she started cleaning them herself. This, this is an, an interesting story. So um, a former Escondido resident is exposing the city's dirty park bathrooms to her hundreds of thousands of social media followers in the hope that the city will take notice and, and take action. So um, Amy Landers is a former resident of Escondido, and she's voluntarily cleaning up park bathrooms across the city and documenting the grueling process along the way. Um, and she's using social media to do this. So why isn't the city doing this, right? Why isn't the city of Escondido maintaining the restrooms in their parks? Why aren't they doing the cleanup of their own property? Well, according to the director of finance of the city of Escondido, Christina Holmes, she said an estimated $8 million of maintenance has been deferred annually since around 2008. Wow, that's like 15 years ago. That includes maintenance on parks, playgrounds, libraries, recreation centers, pools, streets, sidewalks, bridges, storm drains, fleet, and other facilities. They've been deferring a lot of this maintenance. They've even, the city has even reduced pest control measures of the parks, has cut public restroom maintenance at the parks by 50%, has curtailed the replanning and refreshing of landscape at parks and other facilities. I mean, the city of Escondido is really struggling to figure this out. And they've been deferring this maintenance because their budget's getting squeezed. Now, this sounds so much like what we've heard at Poway Unified School District, where they have been putting off maintenance. And now that's finally catching up to them. Now they're trying to go, you know, they, they failed with a bond measure in 2020. Poway Unified is getting ready for another bond. You, you can see that coming in 2024. But in Poway Unified, they did the same thing. They deferred maintenance. But you're thinking the city's got this big budget. Why are they not spending their money on this? Why isn't this a priority? Well, because the vast amount of their dollars has to go to paying for employees and their benefits and their pensions. I mean, I know for the school district, it's 80% or more of their budget funds the cost of employees. And I would imagine at a city government, it's probably similar. So these employees want raises, they want higher wages, they want better benefits, they want stronger pensions. And it gets to the point where the city council can't build a budget that's balanced. But somehow Escondido has found a way to sort of maneuver here, again, similar to Poway Unified, and they've gotten some one-time money that has come in. But you know, every year it's a little bit different from a different source. It's not something they can count on. But let's talk about Amy Landers first. Amy Landers is a professional restoration cleaner and owns a cleaning business in San Diego. She's also a mother of two kids who love going to the park, which is how all this started. And one day she and her kids went to Kit Carson Park in Escondido. And when she took her daughter to use the restroom, she was horrified. It was disgusting. Absolutely foul. I started talking to a woman there who was pregnant and she couldn't even use the bathroom because of how dirty it was. Kit Carson Park was the first bathroom I cleaned in August of last year, she said. In my professional opinion, I don't think that bathroom had been deep cleaned in over two years. I believe that. I mean, yeah, you go into some of these parks and it's tough. I mean, because you've got 
you know, regular people that use the parks that use them. But then you've got, you know, transient homeless people that are using them. You know, there's, you know, a certain amount of riffraff that goes on in there. And they're not being maintained. Each of these bathrooms she's worked on has taken her three to five hours, sometimes longer, to clean. Along the way, Landers has found broken glass, knives, drug paraphernalia, used condoms, and more on the bathroom floors. She's posting videos to her TikTok account, which has garnered 180,000 followers in the hope of raising awareness. The fact that the city is not allocating money to keep these bathrooms, I don't don't want to say pristine, but even usable— is ridiculously dangerous. And she's always often appealed. Why can't the city pay, you know, do this? But the city has always said, hey, we don't have the money because we're in a deficit. And they are. So it just makes you wonder, you know, and again, this is like the tragedy of the commons, right? You know, the tragedy of the commons is the idea that if it's not private property, it where where it is public property, like no one wants to take control of it. And so that, that's why the, the restrooms in these public areas are the ones that suffer. Because now everyone's looking over their shoulder thinking that someone else is going to maintain them. And good on Amy for jumping in and doing it. I mean, that's, oh my God, that's, a, that's an assignment. But she's taken this on herself to do it. And this is incredible. Now, she went on to say the city needs to find a long-term solution. And they do. But what is that? You know, we can talk about the funding and I'll, t- I'll touch on that in a bit. But what are the other potential long-term solutions? I mean, one of them is that maybe you've got to pay to use the restroom. And that's really not a bad idea, especially if you want something to be maintained. And you've seen this in some of the restrooms like in McDonald's. Sometimes they'll have a coin-operated doorknob. In other cases, you know, there's probably technology where they would take dollar bills that would allow you to use the restroom. To me, that's reasonable. Because on one hand, you're getting funding that can help pay for the maintenance for the, and the people that use it are paying for it. And on the other hand, those that don't pay can't use it and it will keep a lot of the riffraff out of it. The drug paraphernalia and, and all the nonsense that happens there. It'll, well, it won't keep it all out, but it'll keep some of it out. What's the other potential long-term solution? Have you ever noticed like when you're on the road and you're on a road trip and you stop at like a you know, a gas station and they've got, um, you know, kind of a convenience store there and travelers will use those bathrooms. And those bathrooms are generally speaking pretty good. I mean, they're not like your home bathroom, but they're definitely miles better than what we're seeing in these city parks. I wonder if that's a potential solution. Could they find a way to privatize the operation and put some kind of a convenience store there on the city property, and one of the conditions is is that you've got to provide a restroom, and you've got to maintain the restroom, and that restroom is open to the public. But in exchange for that, we'll let you build a convenience store or you know some other kind of some other kind of business that can generate revenue. To me, that makes a lot of sense too, because then you've got people that have a vested interest in keeping it clean especially if it were a private store, just like if it were a convenience store along the freeway. I think that's another potential long-term solution because if they keep expecting they're going to get funding from this, well, they've always got all these other places they want to spend the money. 
Now, Escondido has tried twice to address this structural deficit by raising sales taxes with ballot measures that were going to raise about $20 million annually. But it failed in 2020. um, And then another one failed last year at the ballot box. So what should they do? Now, you know, I've been critical of Poway Unified having similar problems, not maintaining infrastructure. Well, thank God they maintain their restrooms at the schools. But generally speaking, deferring maintenance because they spend so much on their employees. I think the city of Escondido should really look hard and fast and really start to really ask themselves, what are the priorities? What are the essential services that we should offer and prioritize them? And maybe some of the low priorities need to get cut. Or maybe some of the lower priorities don't need to be staffed with city employees, but they can be outsourced to private companies that can do the job at a lower price that can be competitively bid. And by the way, you wouldn't have the long-term pension obligation for those employees because they're no longer employees for the city. So I think there are a lot of different things that need to be addressed. Now, let's just take a brief moment to talk a little bit about this and, and, and the budget crisis in Escondido. And Mayor, you know, Mayor Dane White, who, who I like, I, I follow Dane White on social media. He's a good guy. He's fun to follow on social media. But he's got a problem on his hands because, I mean, the, the budget isn't structurally sound. The budget, if you look at recurring revenues, exceed, excuse me, the recurring expenses exceed recurring revenues. I mean, that's, that's a recipe that doesn't work. You can get some one-time money from this fund or that fund, but you can't count on it. They've got to make some big decisions, and it's clear that the voters don't want to increase the sales tax. So now what? Um, they may need to cut spending. So apparently the city is expected to run a deficit of as much as $23 million by the year 2036. And they've been able to close these shortfalls yeah, with a lot of these one-time funds, like from COVID relief funds or loan repayments or tapping into the pension trust, which is probably a dangerous thing to do. So they, they, he's got a real problem on his hands to fix here. Again, this, the, the parallels here with Poway Unified are very striking. The one-time funds Escondido has used to stave off steeper cuts mean uh, uh, for, uh, steeper cuts mean other programs that have been on the chopping block could be gone soon if the city can't fix its structural deficit. That includes several community outreach programs that target crime prevention and youth engagement that narrowly avoided being defunded by the city. So they'll always bring that up. Like, you know, they'll scare you. Crime prevention. We won't be able to prevent crime if we don't increase taxes. Well, yeah, I mean, that should be one of the most fundamental things that a city provides is safety services. But you got to wonder, there's a lot of other things the city does that are nice to have, but not must to have. Like, for example, cuts to youth development programs run by nonprofit Escondido Compact, the Escondido Police Department and other outreach programs have been considered over the last couple of years, but use of one-time funding sources have kept them afloat. Other community programs like Tiny Tots Program, the Volunteer Escondido Program, and the Kit Carson Skate Park have also been previously considered for defunding. Well, why not? I mean, why not just say if you want to use a skate park, you got to pay to use it. That's reasonable. I mean, there's no point in taxing a grandma 
you know, who lives in Escondido. So a bunch of, you know, teenagers can use skate park. Maybe the people that use a skate park need to pay for the skate park, you know, and, and a lot of these other things, you just have to say, you know, we can't be everything to everybody. The city of Escondido can't solve everyone's problems. We have a limited budget. We have to prioritize, but that means they're going to have to make cuts. And if they make cuts, they're going to upset some people. And that means a lot of these politicians are at risk when the next election rolls around. Escondido has also seen a reduction in city staff by more than 140 employees since 2008. That's a 10% reduction while the city's population has simultaneously grown by 10%. That's a good thing, though. If they're able to do more with less, that's smart. If they're able to, because your employee costs are your highest expense. If you're able to outsource that or decide that it's really not a high priority, yeah, that's where you're going to have to make the cuts is with people. It's unfortunate, but that's how you're going to have to balance the budget. The city also cut $133,000 from the California Center for the Arts in Escondido this year, but was close to cutting $1.9 million. Now, that's another big question. Who should fund the arts? Should maybe the people that use the Performing Arts Center be the ones that pay for it? I mean, what's more important, funding the arts or funding The parks. I think one would say that parks are a more fundamental offering that's for city uh, government. Parks and recreation are probably, I'd say, third priority. I mean, safety is usually always one. Safety being police and fire and that sort of thing. And usually number two is infrastructure, roads, sewer, water, you know, that sort of thing. But parks and recreation is usually number three, especially the parks. Why they're funding as you know a two million, nearly two million dollars to the Performing Arts Center when that is primarily used by paying patrons. The people that use it should pay it, and if they did, they could free up some money to take care of the park. So Amy Landers isn't going out having to clean them herself. But they've also been dipping into their pension reserves and borrowing there to cover this. And they already have $270 million of unfunded pension liabilities in Escondido. So our buddy, Dane White, he's got some issues to face. He's got some challenges he's got to solve. I'm curious to see where this goes. But, you know, it's, it's sad that we got someone that had to jump in and clean these restrooms herself, doing deep cleanings that take three to five hours. And God knows what she's been cleaning there. I mean, she's probably having to wear a hazmat suit to do it because it's so disgusting. But, you know, tip of the hat to Amy Landers for doing that work. But the city of Escondido has got to figure this one out. Okay. Got a couple more topics before we get to the community forum. Um, Before I get to that, one other thing I'd like to to share with you. I actually host two podcasts. This is my podcast, The John Riley Project. But I've got a second podcast. I do it with Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. You know, the the franchise, the 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 man who started sports talk radio on the West Coast, uh, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and I co-host a sports podcast and we typically live stream it every Thursday at three and most Mondays at three. Um, so I encourage you to go check that out. We cover local sports like the Padres and the Aztecs. We cover the NFL, the NBA playoffs, World Cup uh, soccer, um, English Premier League soccer. We cover golf and major league baseball and and 
in really every sport under the sun with Hacksaw. And it's a ton of fun. So I, I invite you to check that out. Look up uh, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton wherever you get your podcasts or check out the YouTube channel, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. We actually do it right here in the John Riley Project podcast studio. So I welcome you to check that out. And if you're a sports fan, you'll love it. We have a similar deal like our community forum. We call it the Fans Forum where you can get involved and leave your questions and comments for Hacksaw. So I'll just say that one more time. If you want to get involved in the John Riley Project, you have a question or a comment, just type it in in the live stream. We've already had Yuri Boll and Ed Franklin, a number of other people have joined in already. So we'd love to get your thoughts and comments. Okay, I got two more topics I want to discuss, one about electric vehicles and one about Imperial Beach. And then we're going to get to the community forum. So let's talk about EVs for a minute. And, you know, I'm a big EV fan. We have two electric vehicles. We have a Tesla Model 3 and a Hyundai Kona EV. Got a charging station in our garage. We, we power it with solar. I'm a big fan of the technology. We've been driving some form of an EV for over 10 years. We're kind of on the cutting edge of this sort of thing and just love the technology. Well, now there's something new coming forward, and this really caught my attention. And now this new electric car that's coming forward from a company called Fisker is going to have battery swapping technology. And you're thinking, what's that mean? Well, what this technology is really interesting. And it will, you know, rather than going to a, a charging station and pub, pu- plugging in and waiting, they can actually remove the battery and reinstall the battery in a matter of minutes, and you could be on your way. And that's actually a clever idea. It's a good idea, I think. Um, now, there's a lot of complexity to this, and you kind of wonder how is it going to work. But apparently, these battery swaps will only take a few minutes, and it will still cost less than getting gas, according to this company. Now, one of the hurdles, you know, with electric cars is people have this fear of charging. How am I going to charge? Will my car run out of charge? And if I have to charge, how long do I have to wait? Well, let me just lay it out for you here. We have an electric charging station in our garage. That means that we charge our cars when they're not being used. And that charging station in our garage handles 100% of my wife's charging needs to commute to work and do everything she needs to do around San Diego County. And it covers well over 90% of my charging needs. The only time I ever have to use public charging is if I'm on a long road trip, like a really long one. Like if I just go from my home at Poway up to LA and back, I can do that on one full charge. It's, It's a tight squeeze at the end. I barely make it, but I can do it. But when I've gone on road trips to San Francisco, to Tahoe, to Reno, to Vegas, to Tucson, I even did a road trip to Albuquerque in 2018. Before there was barely any infrastructure. It was really an adventure. But those are the only times I have to use public charging stations. And when I do, my car usually will take between 45 minutes and an hour to charge when I'm on the road, kind of depending on how much juice I have on my battery and depending on the speed of the charging station. But generally speaking, I'm using high-speed charging stations. Now they're coming up with new cars like the Hyundai Ionic 5. That car can go from 10% to 80% charging in, I think, about 18 minutes. So the technology is getting better. Charging is getting faster. But still, even an 18-minute charge is a lot longer than it takes you to fill up your car with gas, which that normally only takes, what, five minutes, three minutes, depending on the size of your tank and how much gas you need. 
So what these guys have come up with a plan is to radically reduce this is to actually, rather than, you know, filling your car up with gas, it'd be like getting a brand new battery and just plugging in and going. So Fisker, who's the EV manufacturer, is partnering with a company called Ample, a battery swapping startup, to offer just that for the Fisker Ocean SUV. The Fisker Ocean, by the way, is a new car coming out in 2024. It's really interesting. It actually has solar panels on the roof, so it can charge while you drive. But it doesn't nearly convert the sun and the photons into electrons fast enough. You still need to charge it. But they're going to have this battery swapping technology as part of this car. And it's going to be lower than the cost per mile for gasoline. It'll be cheaper than gas. And so here's how their technology works. This is after a driver pulls into one of their battery swapping stations, the vehicle is lifted up. And its dead battery is automatically removed and replaced with a fully charged one. And the whole process is automated and only takes a few minutes. And there's a couple of other really big advantages to this. Um, these, these battery swapping sites can be installed in just a few days. As opposed to now, when if you want to put in a charging station, you've got to get permits. You've got to have you know a, a high voltage line. You've got a trench. You've got to pour concrete and build the, the pad for the charging station. You don't need to do any of that. Um, and at the same time, users now can buy EVs without a battery. And now with this battery swapping technology, you can subscribe to a battery. And then as battery technology improves you can get newer battery technology. Now, that's pretty interesting to me. And this will make it a lot easier to recycle the old batteries, which I know that technology is improving as well. I think this is really cool. And I think this is kind of similar to what we talked about with Highway 56, that technology is what's going to solve a lot of these problems. And here we're seeing with EVs, major leap forwards in charging speed, battery capacity, um, new technology coming forward, new startups coming forward new, with new models, and now battery swapping as an alternative to plugging in. It's something. I think this is cool. That's why I think investing in um, in building overpasses and tunnels for subways and trolley, I think is you know, looking backwards to the 20th century rather than looking forward to the 21st century and where this technology is going to take us. Okay, one last topic before we get to the community forum. Let's talk a little bit about Imperial Beach. And they are changing their campaign rules. And I, I think this is interesting to me because I was a candidate for school board in Poway in 2014. And there were a lot of rules. And the rules varied by city on how you could campaign, where you could put up signs. There were rules associated with fundraising. Um, there's a lot of paperwork that needs to be filed. And the cities are trying to get their arms around this and create a set of rules that they think is right for their city. So Imperial Beach is exploring the creation of local campaign rules. And they've created this new committee that's going to get into all of this with contribution limits, sign placement, and way to get feedback from residents. So the power, uh, excuse me, the Imperial Beach mayor. Paloma Aguirre, who's shown here on the screen, and Councilmember Mitch McKay are putting together this group. And apparently, Imperial Beach has no rules. They just follow the state rules. And the state rules have a limit of $5,500 per person in contributions. 
Now, when I ran in 2014, there were no limits for city for Poway Unified School District. And I was shocked by that. I mean, you literally could have someone write you a check for a million dollars. Now, apparently since then, they've, they've limited at the statewide level to $5,500 contributions. But some cities like Poway, I think, has a $250 minimum, I think is what it is. Maybe a little bit more if they're running for mayor. But, you know, it's a, it's a three-digit number. There's a, these cities have their own rules. But Imperial Beach doesn't have rules. They want to consider putting in some of their own. But if they were to enact local contribution limitations, they'd have to enforce it. And that means that you'd have to bring in more people, more cost, more expense, more manpower to police it and to regulate it. And so the city is like, hey, you can do this, but it comes at a cost. Um, Now, some of the sample regulations the city staff has suggested were provisions that were under the city of Coronado's ordinance, including a $200 contribution limit the need to itemize each contribution of $5 or more and donations that can be received only by check or credit card, you know, so they're accountable. Now, this is interesting too, because if they put in this campaign limit, well, then, then you start to get, it's kind of like Citizens United. You get into a situation where people are limited on how much they can support a candidate. They're limited on how much advertising they can do for a candidate and in many ways, this is a violation of their free speech rights if they're limited. But it does make you wonder who is demanding the limiting. Well, it's always the incumbent politicians. And here it's the mayor and one of the other city council members who are pushing for this. Because if you can limit the contributions, if you can limit the way your challengers campaign, it makes it easier for incumbents to win. You know, they say they want to get big money out of these elections. And sure, there is big money in these elections. Geez, in the city of Poway's elections in 2022, there was huge money coming in from PACs, tens of thousands of dollars for some of these candidates or against opponents of certain candidates. There's a lot of money that's involved in these elections because these city council people have so much authority to regulate the economy in their community. But what do you think? Should there be limits? Or if you place those limits, does that just kind of make the incumbents all the more difficult to beat? All the more difficult for challengers to have success. Now, here in Poway, they, they, they enacted a sign ordinance. And um, it limits where signs can go in the public right of way. In fact, it used to be in the public right of way in Poway, you could put up campaign signs. Public right of way is kind of like near a street corner. It's, it's right along the sidewalk. It's not private property. It's city property. And usually those areas were okay to put up signs. But the city of San Diego banned them. Many other cities have banned them because the people didn't like all the clutter. It was, it was, it was, a, it was a mess. It was a pollution in our city. And yeah, there was a lot of messaging. Now, when I saw that, I thought, this is good. This is free speech. This is part of a democratic process. This is healthy when I saw that. But there are a lot of people that saw it the other way. They were able to get their city council people to ban them. And so in the city of Poway, none of those signs in the right of way are allowed. And if you even put a sign on your own private property, like on the land that you own, You're limited on the size of the sign and if it can be lit or not. 
The sign ordinance for campaigning is way more rigid, rigorous than the sign ordinances for businesses. And what you end up having are politicians that are incumbents that are setting rules on how their challengers can compete. You also have government officials limiting people's free speech. So this this is a dangerous territory for them to go, in my opinion. Now, there's also, in Imperial Beach, they're bringing up this notion of campaign signs and the riffraff that goes on with them. And if you're ever involved in a political campaign, especially on the local campaigns, you know this happens. Signs get put up, signs get stolen, signs get defaced, signs get um, removed. In some cases, we saw one where our local city councilman here in Poway, Barry Leonard, his daughter stole campaign signs of one of Barry's competitors, which is horribly immoral and unethical. But we've also seen other cases where people have put up signs, they disappear. You wonder who's pulling them. Are these their opponents that are pulling the signs in the middle of the night? Are they local residents that don't like the clutter that are removing them? But here in Imperial Beach, they want to address that. And the mayor said she would also like issues of harassment, bullying, and destruction of campaign materials to be addressed. I would like to see us work with our district attorney to figure out how to make it the maximum level of misdemeanor, if not a felony, because that is causing uh, people to be discouraged from running when they see campaign signs that are tagged, name sprayed on these signs. Well, that's a legit point because these signs are private property and whether they're placed on private property or they're replaced in the right of way, the sign itself is still private property and it's being defaced. That's not right. So they, they, they should take action, but this would be just so hard to police because this sort of thing is like whack-a-mole. You know, you can police it here and, a, and then signs get stolen over there. It's just impossible to police unless you have like ring doorbell cameras on every street corner. I mean, it's just nuts the way this goes on. It's a game. And I saw it when I ran in 2014, and I know it continues to exist. And sometimes people will get photos or videos of people stealing signs, you know, especially with presidential elections and people didn't like Trump or they didn't like Biden and they were stealing signs from people's front yards. And that became a big problem, too, because you're trespassing and there's a lot of other angles to this. So they're going to try to address that as well. I'm curious. You know, I I kind of have a little bit more curiosity because I used to be a candidate. But what do you think about that? Do you think there should be campaign limits for city council, city mayor? If so, what should it be? $250 max donation per person? Or maybe there's inflation and it needs to be 500 or 1000 Or what? You know, maybe you don't want any funding. You, you want these to be publicly funded. That's always an interesting angle. When people say they want elections publicly funded, then I think, well, Will they fund everything? And then who, who gets the funding? <laughs> Imagine if they publicly funded elections, you couldn't spend any private dollars. Well, you would get tons of publicity seekers that would seek office, that just want to promote themselves or promote their business because they would get all this free advertising. And then if you ended up having, rather than three or four candidates for a race, you might have 30 or 40 candidates for a race. 
And then you'd spread that money out across all of them. And they'd probably be left with very little each individual. And that just empowers the incumbent because that person has name recognition. Um, so uh, it's, it, campaign finance is always a delicate topic. But it's interesting to see what Imperial Beach does. We'll keep an eye on that story. Okay, let's um, let's get ready for the community forum. I got um, if you've got some comments or questions in the live stream, we already took some of those questions early on in the podcast episode. But if you do, you have a comment or question, you got to challenge me on a particular issue, just type it in a live stream on Facebook or on YouTube. But I do have some YouTube comments to some of my videos that I want to bring up. And some of these are really interesting. And here's a comment from um, Sabi Zeppo. And he was commenting on the video clip we did about Mayor Todd Gloria. San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria has had it up to here with homelessness. And he's going to start getting a lot more hardcore enforcing homeless, enforcing these anti-camping rules. And Sabi says, great subject matter. I agree. San Diego is such a beautiful, clean city, but we risk becoming a Los Angeles skid row or even worse, a downtown San Francisco if Mayor Todd Gloria does not get tough on the homeless. Yes, it is a delicate situation appeasing the voters, but I do believe the gloves need to come off on this one. The city has been transplanting homeless for years, only for them to come back to the downtown area within weeks. It's a difficult situation. I agree they need to be close to resources and facilities to help them back on track. But let's face it, they're an eyesore on the city. Some prefer not to integrate and enjoy having no responsibilities. They know where and what time to get free food. In one of the many food handout serving points, they know where to go wash if needed, sleep where they sleep or sleep where they please and and defecate as they please. I hope and pray our politicians and local leaders take a stand on the problem. Okay. That's a lot in there. Um, yeah, there's two sides to this, right? I mean, on, on one level, you don't want to see people homeless. I mean, these people, have, for whatever reason, are in a tough situation. You know, they, they lost their job. They are in a financial crisis. They couldn't afford to pay their rent, especially with sky-high rents in San Diego. They end up moving out because they can't afford it. They live in their cars. They live in a tent on the sidewalk. Other people have addiction issues. Other people have mental health issues or PTSD issues, and they, they need help. But on the other hand, you can't just show up on someone else's property or on the sidewalk and decide to camp and invade other people's property and break the rules in public property. I mean, an anti-camping ordinance makes a lot of sense. I mean, I certainly couldn't go down the street and set up a camp in front of my my neighbor's house. I get run off by the neighbors because it's not appropriate. So it's a two-sided thing here. They do need to get tougher. They do need to enforce the rules, but they need to have a place where they can go. That's the second half. They've already got this app that they've built that homeless advocates can go out and help them and say, hey, I found an open shelter with beds available. It's only a mile down the road. Come with me and I'll get you set up. More of that needs to happen. You know, Mayor Todd Glorious talked about converting a portion of Balboa Park to be an area that is legal to camp. That's a good idea, too, because you need to move the homeless folks 
into an area where they're safe and into an area where they relieve the problems that are affecting the local residents and the local businesses. But at the same time, you can't just kick them out with nowhere to go because like, like uh, Zabi said, they'll just show up again two weeks later. It becomes a game of whack-a-mole and that just doesn't work. So the city's, you know, buying hotels or trying to convert those. Now you, again, my opinion on this is, is the, the big problem is the housing policy. The big problem is they haven't built enough housing. That's what's made housing so expensive in San Diego. There's huge demand, limited supply. So real estate prices, rental prices are very, very high. That's how we got into this mess. If they can find a way to build more housing, prices will relax and it'll become more affordable. But that's going to take time. And in the interim, they've got to find a place for these folks to go. So, Sabi, thanks for commenting there. Let's get another person involved, the bike goddess. And bike goddess was commenting about the story of Poway Unified going to the Supreme Court of the United States. You know, two of our Poway school board members shut down certain people from responding on their social media accounts, essentially blocking the speech of their constituents. They were sued. This is Michelle O'Connor Ratcliffe and TJ Zane. They were sued by Chris and Kimberly Garnier, who are longtime, um, uh, uh, what's the right word for this? They're, they're, they're longtime critics of the school board on financial issues, on the school bond issues, on the corruption issues of Superintendent John Collins, on uh, racial issues at Poway Unified. They're very outspoken. They weren't getting response or adequate response from their city or their Poway school board candidates or council members. So they went on their social media accounts, the accounts that they use to conduct business, the accounts that they use to share information with their constituents and to engage and and interact with their constituents. They went onto their social media platforms and began responding aggressively and they didn't like it and they blocked them. Well, according to Bike, uh, Bike Goddess, she said, Two of my siblings siblings graduated from there. I assume she means Poway Unified or Poway High. Um, and according to them, and my older sibling who was their custodian, according to them, it is super conservative, like Trumpians before Trumpians were a thing. I generally agree with what you are saying. They shouldn't be able to be blocked. However, there could be a point where it becomes harassment and then it would be okay. That should be a very high bar, however. Hopefully, SCOTUS says something similar in a lawyerly way. That's kind of a tough one to say, a lawyerly way. And I'll have to look it up. So this is, this is I think, is going to be fascinating what happens in this court case. Were these school board members shutting down the free speech of their constituents? The answer is clearly yes. But were these constituents harassing? Were they abusing? Some might say yes. I mean, there's been reports that there were tens, if not over a hundred messages in a short period of time of repeating the same message over and over and over and over again, copy, paste, post, copy, paste, post. I mean, some could say that's way over the line. Now, what's the content of these? I don't know. I know the Garnier family. I know, well, I know Chris and Kimberly Garnier. Kimberly was a, a guest on my podcast early on in 2018. They're passionate. They're, they can be aggressive. 
do they cross the line? You know, that's where it's judgmental. Um, there it sounds like they may have crossed the line in terms of the aggressiveness, but was it harassment? I don't know. And this is where courts are going to need to be involved. Well, apparently this has been ruled in the favor of the school board members, TJ Zane and Michelle O'Connor Ratcliffe and other courts. It was ruled in favor of the constituents, Kristen Kimberly Garnier. And this thing has been appealed and worked its way through the process. It's going to the Supreme Court of the United States. This is going to be great theater. And, you know, the court is 6-3 conservative. Conservatives these days tend to be very big supporters of free speech. So what's going to happen here? I don't know. I think this is great. Now, Power Unified has just been in the news for so many other reasons. The billion-dollar bond, the corruption of, of John, Col- uh, John Collins' former superintendents who was found guilty in a court of law, a lot of other things. And now the Supreme Court. Wow, our little school district sure is in the news a lot. Okay, next story in our community forum is talking about electric vehicles. You know, and again, we did a little segment on EV charging, and I'm a big EV proponent. I love talking about electric vehicles. And I did a story about San Diego EV sales booming, and Turkey SSR responded. He said, great video. He goes, I was shocked by your comments, um, notably at the six-minute, 53-second mark, where you talked about if they should be subsidized or not. It's not free. Someone has to pay for those subsidies. While I do not see EVs taking over anytime soon because of their entry cost, amongst other challenges, your video was honest. We can tell you are a fan, but you analyze some of the other objections in an interesting way. Thanks. Well, Turkey SSR, well, thank you. And I try to be honest. I mean, I have my opinions. I share my opinions, but I try to be honest. I try to be fair. Now, should electric vehicles be subsidized? Because that's where they get these tax rebates. And I mean, that's coming from the, the general fund at the state level and at the federal level. I mean, you can get like as much as $7,500 from the federal and $7,500 from the state. And there's all kinds of other incentives. Is that a good policy? Now, I would say no. I don't think a market should be tilted. I don't think a market should be skewed. We should have a free market where people buy and sell and trade voluntarily and they're trading at prices that they both mutually agree to. But when you rob Peter to pay Paul, when you subsidize from this person to pay for that person, it creates all these distortions and perverse incentives and essentially a model of corporate welfare. You know, by the way, you you know, you ever notice it, the richest person in America, Elon Musk runs a company that sells electric vehicles, Tesla, which gets government subsidies, or I should say taxpayer subsidies, owns Solar City, which gets taxpayer subsidies, owns SpaceX, which contracts out to the government. And he is the richest person in America, if not in the world. Say what you will about Elon Musk. It is interesting that his business model is based on that, on getting government subsidies. I don't think that's right as a national policy. However, as an individual who already pays a ton in federal and state taxes, I will take advantage of every incentive. I will work to maximize my own situation. 
And I like EV technology. I'm a big fan of it. I liked it so much. I like to be on the cutting edge of it. And it was fun for me, even though there were hurdles with charging and different challenges, especially in the early days, 10 years ago. To me, that was fun. To me, that was an adventure. It drove my wife bananas. But now that we have the charging station in our garage, it makes her life really easy. But yeah, I don't think it's a good policy. Just as I don't think they should be subsidizing solar, I don't think there should be subsidies for oil companies. I think it should just be something that people trade voluntarily without government get, sticking their nose in it. So I'm probably one of the, one of the few EV drivers that disagrees with the, with the um, rebates, but I take the rebate. Does that make me a hypocrite? I don't think so because they're taking my tax dollars first. In my opinion, that's the original sin is the level of taxation. And if they're going to create a game, a system, I, I call it playing the game. If they're going to create a system that I just have to do this or that to get part of my money back, well, I can't change the policy. I'm just this individual. I'm not an elected representative in the state assembly or the House of Representatives. I have no control over that. I can share my opinion on it. But the one thing I can control is me. And if there's an opportunity for me to get part of my money back, especially if it's something that I already want to buy, I would be a fool not to do that. And so I take advantage of the rebate. Okay, we got um, two more comments in the community forum. This one is from LG talking about San Diego Gas and Electric. You know, they're changing their rate structure. They're going to start charging a flat rate that everyone will pay that will vary based on what your household income is. So rich people pay more, low-income people pay less. But they would lower the variable rate for usage. You know, so San Diego Gas Electric saying, oh, this is just to help out the low, low income, to help out the poor and downtrodden. But really, I've always said there's a hidden agenda here, and it's to attack solar. Well, according to LG, he, he or she says, by reducing the kilowatt hour rate and upping the flat rate, they are disincentivizing energy conservation along with green energy solar production. This is the exact opposite of the stated goals of California's dominant political party. And LG is 100% right. Because even San Diego Gas and Electric in their announcement said, if you use a lot of energy, you're going to pay less because the variable rate is lower. So what they're doing is they're creating a system that incentivizes more use. And, you know, most of our energy on the grid in California comes from fossil fuels. Now we don't, it's not fun. It's not fueled by coal. It's mostly natural gas and natural gas, of course, is probably the most efficient and less impactful of all the fossil fuels. And there's some from solar and some from wind, but that's definitely the minority. But they're, they're, this system encourages, I mean, you figure, why would they do that? Why would Democrats, why would environmentalists want to encourage more? Well, the reason is the San Diego Gas and Electric has been making less and less money from solar customers. In some cases, paying solar customers which is what we get with our solar panels. There's some months where we generate more power on our solar panels than we actually take from the grid, and we have a net negative bill. 
by having a higher flat rate, this will give San Diego Gas and Electric a more predictable revenue and profitability model. And then we're going to be able to make more revenue from people that are investing in solar. So you're kind of screwing over the people that have already put in the solar and you're disincentivizing putting in additional solar. So this is, you know, again, I don't fault San Diego Gas and Electric for pursuing profit. They're a corporation. Every corporation should pursue profit. But this is a weird model because it's like a government-sanctioned monopoly. It's a, it's a case where you don't have a lot of alternatives by government decree. And now they're working in cahoots with state regulators with a woke agenda to provide lower rates for the poor. But what they end up doing, you know, what, say whatever you will about the rich having to pay a higher rate. You may think that's righteous. I don't. I think when you buy a loaf of bread or you buy, you know, a gallon of milk, it shouldn't matter what your income level is. But in this case, what they're doing is they're undermining this whole notion of a climate-friendly agenda. I mean, here we talked earlier about San Diego City Council. They're kind of reluctantly expanding the lanes on Highway 56 to relieve congestion, knowing that it's going to emit more carbon and be bad for the planet. Well, here, if, if they're really, if that really is their agenda, then they should be fighting back with San Diego Gas and Electric. But they're not. I, I just think this is interesting. It's just going to encourage more fossil fuel usage. Okay, we got one final comment here in the community forum. I'll give you a last ch- chance opportunity. If you'd like to chime in, just type in your li- uh, comment or question in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube, and I'll get you involved here right before we wrap up. Okay, the last uh, comment from YouTube. This is kind of a long response. I'm going to read it. But it's interesting, and it's talking about San Diego potholes and the state of the disrepair of our streets. And I've been ranting numbers of times about Carmel Mountain Road here in the Rancho Bernardo area. Oh, my God. You ever use that road as a disaster? There are potholes and undulations. There are loose gravel. It's a terrible road. It's been terrible forever. And there's been some locals here that have been objecting to it in letters to the editor, and I've been amplifying it on my podcast. Well, we got a note back here from M. Tucrow, and he said, I'm glad someone else is complaining about Carmel Mountain Road. But I thought it was just me ranting about that road. For the life of me, I don't understand why the owners of the hundreds of businesses along Carmel Mountain Road have not filed a class action lawsuit against the city of San Diego. Those businesses pay millions of dollars in property tax every year. And what the hell do they get in return? Certainly not decent roads. That stretch of road has been in terrible condition for years. It needs to be torn up and repaved. (laughs) I agree 100% here. You're right. They do pay a ton in property taxes. And here's another road in terrible condition. The intersection of Twin Trails and Black Mountain Road. There are literally traffic light sensor wires sticking up from the pavement and holes everywhere. It's been that way for five or six years. What a joke the city of San Diego is with its road repair. And they've got 
every excuse in the book from 30 years lack of maintenance to COVID to budget issues, blah, blah, blah. But they sure don't have a problem paying those pensions. (laughs) I suggest the city San Diego city managers and road department managers go out to Palm Springs, Palm Desert, La Quinta, and get educated on how to build a road and how to maintain a road. That Coachella Valley area has some perfect roads. That's a lot there. Well, yeah, they got a problem. This is kind of what we're talking about in Escondido, where, you know, their budget, their their priorities, you kind of question. You know, they, they're paying loads of money for their employees, and they do get paid well, and they get attractive pensions and benefits. You might say they deserve it. But, you know, it comes at a cost. It comes at an expense, and the budget is limited. Now, the city budgets keep going up. You know, they still cry poor. They still cry poverty. That's why they want to keep increasing taxes. But as our home values keep going up, or in this case, property values, even for the businesses on Carmel Mountain Road, yeah, people are paying more in property tax. That means more money is going to the city. They should be able to fund these roads. You wonder, what are they spending the money on instead? You know, should they be buying hotels to fund the homeless or to house the homeless or should they be funding roads? I mean, we can question the priority level of all these things. But yeah, I mean, the the roads on Karma Mountain Road is a disaster. Now, I live in Poway. The roads are pretty good in Poway. They're not perfect. But the city does actually a pretty decent job. It's like once every seven years, they cycle around the city. There's like seven zones. And every year, one of those zones gets slurry sealed or repaved. Now, granted, we had an exception to the rule where they put that gas pipe down um, Pomerado Road. That was hell. But that was like a one-time thing. That was San Diego Gas and Electric. But, you know, the road is mostly repaved as a result. They, they, they still should do more. But they did a lot. But it is ridiculous that some of these roads just aren't maintained. And you think, well, God, we're, we're not only paying a ton in property taxes, but we're paying a ton in sales taxes, that that funds our local governments. And, and, and on top of it, we're paying federal and state taxes that are being used to fund infrastructure improvement. Now, you can give the city a little bit of slack after the rain. I get that. After the rain, there's going to be more potholes that are caused by, you know, some of these little sinkholes underneath. In some cases, there's big-ass sinkholes like the one that was along the 78 freeway in Oceanside. But yeah, we need to be more outspoken. And we talked about Marnie Von Wilpert. She's the city council person that represents Carmel Mountain Ranch and Rancher Bernardo and Penasquitos. She needs to step up. She needs to demand these fixes. Now, they just invested money in this van that's going to go drive around all of San Diego and measure the roads and measure the size of the potholes and the roughness of the roads. Okay, that's good. You get some data. But there are some really obvious places they should be fixing right now. And Carmel Mountain Road is one. Ted Williams Parkway is one. And this intersection that M2 Crow talks about, the intersection of Black Mountain Road and Twin Trails, I'm going to go check that out. I know generally where that is. I'm going to go check that out and and see for myself. I encourage you to see for yourself. Are those wires from the sensors actually sticking out over the asphalt, kind of poking cars and tires as they drive by? I'm curious to find out. Okay, that should do it here on the John Riley Project. You know, this is episode number 318 of this podcast. I try to do this once a week, typically Wednesdays at noon. 
Today, I did it Thursday at 6.30, mostly because I wanted to try a new time, but I also got displaced out of my Wednesday at noon time segment because of what I'm doing with Hacksaw. We had to kind of juggle some things. And, and so if you want to learn more, you can, you can look up my website, johnreillyproject.com. I got my YouTube channel, John Riley Project. You can get the, the podcast wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all those platforms, John Riley Project. Look it up. Um, and if, if you want to support what we're doing, um, if you want to be helpful, there's some things you can do. Um, you can like, follow, subscribe, and share. You know, like the, the um, episode, a thumbs up on Facebook or YouTube is helpful. You can follow and subscribe on my YouTube page or follow on my Facebook page or follow me on Twitter. My handle on Twitter is John Riley Poway. Um, you can... Um, you can share this with your friends. You can subscribe, you know, tell a friend, let people know about what we're doing here. We're trying to cover local San Diego uh, topics. We're trying to have more focus on local issues. I mean, we can get news about Biden and Trump and Zelensky and everyone else from our, you know, cable news and our streaming media, but it's hard to get a lot of good content and information on local news. So that's what I'm trying to do. And I want to get you involved in the community forum. And you can participate in the live stream chat. You can also participate by responding on social media. And as you saw, I got a lot of my YouTube followers involved. And I'll do that across all social media platforms. If you want to get involved, I kind of like to pick some of the responses that I like and get you involved. If you also would like to support the project, you, you think, hey, hey, this Riley guy's doing something kind of cool. I really want to help him out. Maybe I can fund him and give him some money to encourage him to do more. You can do that too. If you go to my website, johnreillyproject.com, you can donate and you can leave a one-time donation or you can make a monthly donation and automatically it'll debit your card. You can donate five bucks, 10 bucks. Maybe you might want to donate a hundred bucks a month. There's a system, a process to do that if you choose. It's voluntary, but I offer value to you. And if you want to offer value back to me, kind of a fun win-win, fair trade, free trade exchange, then I welcome your, your support. Um, so thanks again for listening. Thanks for watching. I'll be back at you Wednesday at 12. If we think this time slot in the evenings works better, let me know your thoughts on that. And I can do that as well. Like maybe I can switch my times around, but generally, you know, when I do the live stream, the live stream participation is relatively modest, but when I provide the podcast for the downloading for the audio only platforms, when I chop up this YouTube video into little chapters and segments, that's where all the action is. That's where all the people get involved. And that's where I hope you can get involved too. So thanks again, people have a great day and um, go Padres. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor, subscribe and then share it with a friend or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let's continue the conversation on social media. Go to connectwithjohnny.com to get links to our social media content, audio podcast platforms, and to sign up for our mailing list. To be a guest, read my blog or get more information, please visit johnreillyproject.com to get started.